the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. All right, we're going to talk about taxes tonight. So before we get there, quietly in your own mind, think about one government program you actually like, or one that you need. Because this tends to be the kind of sermon where we think about all the negative things. But just for a moment, let's get positive. Think about something you like or that you need. Are we all there? All right. Moses said to the Lord, See, you've said to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know when you will send with, who you, whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and have also found favor in my sight. Now last week we saw how God's people is a group, and yes, there are individuals like Moses and Joshua who did not participate, but how they got scared or how they got bothered, they decided to make this golden calf. God gets frustrated with his people. And God and Moses begin this dialogue that goes on for several verses about how God and his people will live with each other. Sounds like a marriage, right? After the golden calf, most of God's people end up sick. But they repent and God heals them. And God tells his people, all right, I'm going to send you an angel. I've been traveling with you this whole way. I'm no longer going to be in your midst, but you're going to have one of my angels. And what we read today is Moses' response. Moses says, listen, God, you wanted me to do this thing. I didn't want to do it. Remember, I tried to get Aaron to do it. But now you're not going to tell me who's going to go with me. God, why are you leaving me? And God replies, listen, Moses, my presence will go with you, and I'll give you rest. So God honors his request that he would go with Moses. And then Moses asks for a little bit more. He turns it up a notch. Listen, God, if you're not going to go with your people... How is anyone going to know that these are actually your people? And God says, you're right, and because of my love for you, Moses, I'll do it. Now, through this point in Scripture, God's been revealing himself to people in stages. It's part of a process, right? God started by calling Abraham out of Haran and said, go this way, and I'll explain the rest to you on the road. And over time, he brought Abraham into a covenant with him, slowly, through dreams, gradually revealing himself. And then with Isaac, and then with Jacob, promising and confirming to each generation what he would do. That he'd make them a great nation. Like stars in the sky, he said, and sand on the beach. That's what your descendants will be like. Look at how God reveals himself to Moses. First, it's a burning bush, and a really simple name, right? I am. Who am I supposed to tell them is sending me, Lord? Tell them I am ascending you. And gradually he real, reveals himself more and more to his people. When God gives the Ten Commandments, the preamble to that is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And now I am is saying, I am the one who delivered you. And God promises to Moses he's going to be with his people, to be present as they and as we travel on this earth. We're not going to be alone, wondering where God is, even in those moments we don't always feel him close by. David writes, the Lord is king. Let the people tremble. He's enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Now David here is saying that God is worthy to be worshipped on his throne. That the creator of heaven and earth will take care of his people, right? Almighty king and lover of justice, you've established equity. You've executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. 
God is taking care of us. And then David calls out some individuals, right? Moses and Aaron among his priests, and Samuel among those who call upon his name. They called upon the Lord, and he answered them. God answers us too. And David goes on to say he forgives us when we call out to him. And David's right. God's power and his mercy are awesome. And in the midst of this promise that God not only be with Moses, but also be with all of God's people, Moses decides to ask for one more thing, just a small one. He says, I want to see your glory. I want to fully experience you as a human being. And God, for the first time in chapters, he just tells Moses no. Now for the last two weeks, we've seen Moses call out to God, asking for mercy for himself and God's people. And God says yes. But here, God says no. He says, listen, Moses, if you see everything, your human body won't be able to handle it. He says, listen, Moses, you can see my back. That's all you can handle. And so God sends him to a cave. And it ends with God promising to cover his eyes until it was safe for Moses to actually have a look. Paul, Silvinus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Now Paul and company are writing to a church that Paul had to leave soon after he started. In the book of Acts it says, Paul went to the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from Scripture, explaining and proving the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. And then Paul said, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you, he's the Messiah. And we read about how Paul had great success. But with this success, it brought about a lot of jealousy. A group of people go into the marketplace. They collected a bunch of what Acts calls bad characters. Think about what that means. I don't know if they were bikers or what they were, but they started a riot. And when they can't find Paul, they grab Jason. Now, Jason's the guy whose house Paul and Silas and Timothy are staying in. And they grab Jason and all those who are with him, and they take him to the officials in the city, demanding the government do something about Paul. And that night, the church smuggles Paul and Silas out of town to safety. And they go to the next town, Berea. And a few weeks later, when those who are causing him trouble in Thessalonica find out Paul's in Berea, they go there to get him, too. And Paul leaves again. And they say all of this is a backdrop. Because it appears, during that short period of time, Paul's sending Timothy back to encourage the Thessalonians. They, he wants them to know that they pray for them. They thank God for the work of your faith and labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in your Lord Jesus Christ. The Thessalonians stood firm in the faith as they understood it. But they didn't understand everything. They didn't have teachers. Their teachers were run out of town. Yet they continued to be faithful just like God's people did in Moses' day. And while Timothy is going to encourage, he's also going with a letter to explain to these Christians those, some of those things Paul didn't have a chance to talk to them about. Now we'll be in Thessalonians for the next few weeks and see what Paul needs them to understand. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he said. And we're still in those fraught few days between the triumphal entry and Palm Sunday. And Monday, Thursday. Over the last month, we've read point by point, seeing how Jesus is preaching openly in the temple and how they keep trying to find something to get him in trouble for. 
This is not going to be the first or the last time they try this day. But this time they don't even come themselves. They send their disciples. And they partner with their political enemies. This is a bipartisan attempt to get Jesus. And they have a question they think is explosive. One that still kind of haunts us to this day. After telling Jesus how great they think he is, they said, Well, Jesus, tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Paying taxes is still something we argue about as Christians. My experience is that if I started the, my sermon by asking everyone to blurt out something they'd cut immediately from the federal budget because it offended you or your religious sensibilities, we get several different answers, right? And some of those answers lead to fights. Because some things you think are vitally unimportant, somebody else relies on. So I didn't want to do that today. But I think all of us can agree that given the chance, we'd make changes, right? If we could change where our tax dollars were going, we'd make some. Can we also agree that back then, like today, the tax collector doesn't believe your taxes are optional payments. They're not charity. You've got to pay them. And Jesus, of course, says, render unto Caesar. Give to Caesar. First, he calls out his questioners. He says, you're asking this question in bad faith. And then Jesus asked for a coin that's used to pay the taxes. And he asked them a simple question. Whose picture is on it? And they say Caesar's. And Jesus said, pay to Caesar's what's Caesar's, and pay to God what is God's. Why did Jesus ask for the coin they used to pay taxes? Because they used a whole separate set of currency to pay their tithes and to buy their sacrifices. It's the reason why there had to be money changers in the temple. Why didn't they just use the same currency? There's a couple of reasons. Roman coins showed the image of living animals and people, which were prohibited by the rules of the time. So the currency issued for the temple would have plants or grains or pictures of objects on them. The other reason is the price of a sacrifice was supposed to be fixed. It was supposed to be not something you haggled over. God didn't want us bargaining for our salvation. And if you're traveling from far away, who knows what your exchange rate would be? And the Romans, on the other hand, weren't going to take temple money for their tax payment. They wanted you to pay them in their currency. They minted their own money for that. Now we can have a long, drawn-out discussion about why the render unto Caesar, what is Caesar's, and render unto God, to God. Right? Stewardship season starts soon. And I know I have one or two thoughts on that. But we're also barreling towards election season, too. And for years, I thought that the reason why God wanted us to do this was simply to obey the rules. But I heard something a couple of months ago. One of, one of my professors, I have to take continuing education classes each year. One of my professors said this about paying to Caesar and paying to God. It made me actually step back and think a little bit. He said this. He says he didn't think Jesus was saying to do this because it was about following the rules, right? He said, no. I think taxes are part of loving our neighbors ourselves. When I heard that, I thought maybe he had a screw loose, right? It struck me as wrong. But then he pointed out something I hadn't thought about before. He said, how many of you guys use roads or sidewalks? Of course, we all do at some point. He pointed out the vast majority of us are going to need our Social Security and our Medicare at some point. He said, when we call the number for police, fire, rescue, 
when we dial 911. We want them to be there in our time of trouble and our neighbors too. We want the military to defend us. Any number of things. And when we say to our neighbors, I'm not going to render unto Caesar what Caesar's, we're leaving our neighbors to shoulder that load alone. While we still drive on the roads and call the fire department when we need them and cash those checks when they come in the mail. Now listen, that's as far as I'm going to meddle today. Jesus said to render unto Caesar and render unto God. And if they handed Jesus a current Roman coin on the day he asked for it, they would have said Tiberius Caesar, August son of the divine Augustus on one side, saying that Tiberius was the son of a god. And on the other, it would have said Pontifus Maximus, high priest on the other. That's the other reason why they didn't want to use Roman currency to pay their tithes and to pay for their sacrifices. They didn't believe that Tiberius was really the son of God or that he was the high priest. And Jesus is saying, we owe Caesar for those things that are in Caesar's sphere. But Jesus didn't believe Caesar was divine. He didn't think that Tiberius was really the high priest. He's letting us know that the emperor's reach is not universal. We don't owe everything to the government as much sometimes as they want to claim that prerogative. But Jesus is saying we owe something. To quote another professor, if God owns all, and we belong to God alone. Yet we live a life in which we, we have competing powers and influences vie to own us, to sway us, to capture our hearts. And in the end, everything we are and hope to be is the Lord's. And Jesus here is trying to tell us that money, as much as we value it, we give it too much worth and importance in our lives. Matthew says that those who heard his response were amazed. They thought his wisdom was great. Today, as we enter another season of elections, as we enter another season where we can be divided. I remember my bishop's example this morning at our diocesan convention. We had a resolution come through that was hotly contested. And as we got ready to vote, he said two things. He said, number one, I want all of us to not clap and not cheer and not moan when the voting's done. And he said, as soon as the voting's done and it's announced, we're all going to stop, and we're all going to stand together and pray together. Because it's our unity and our faith in Christ that gets us through this world, and not our political affiliations. Amen.